Just a warning that this episode does get quite heavy. If you ever need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. I'm Jason. And I'm Maddie. And this is Making Sense of Chaos. A podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope. On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who through various trajectories have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable. Trying to accept the unacceptable. Trying to make sense of chaos. Natasha, the first thing I wanted to do today is, um, first of all, mention a little bit about um, sort of my reflections of, of, of knowing you um, and uh, sort of when Maddie was asking me about um, the relationship or sort of the memories. Um, it was very much um, a long time ago, back in uh, primary school. And, you know, the, the, the memories... Over definitely very faded, um, but I remember you being um, someone that was um, quite energetic um, and, and 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 quite social, um, which was complete complete opposite to me. So um, I was sort of yeah had my one friend Aaron and did what did what we do, um, and I always sort of. Um, I was always observing others, and I found you to be just a just a really um, open person. And it's funny because from that point, um, you know, uh, I think I'm not sure what year we landed on social media, but I sort of, for whatever reason, followed your journey um, from I think it would have been after high school, um, and. I think that uh, everything that sort of um, has occurred in in the last, let's say, ten years. Um, I remember. I remember the day that you posted about your husband um, passing away, and I remember, you know, thinking, how, like, how, 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 and why. Um, you know, from a computer screen, and it's 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 funny that you draw the connection between you know Natasha, you know, primary school, and now she's a woman with a family, and you know, why does that happen to somebody um, so loving and caring? Um, so I suppose that that's sort of my connection point with you, um, and I suppose I just wanted to ask that the first question is sort of when. We came, or when I came to you and asked if you would um, want to come onto this podcast and talk about um, your journey, um, sort of what what were the sort of underlying reasons to why you agreed? So when you approached me to do it, it had been it's been four years since Steve passed away. Um, so he passed away on the twenty second of March two thousand sixteen that's kind of when I marked the day that it all changed Um, and from there I never really had a understanding of what was out there or who was out there so you kind of go into this whole place of just you um, and you kind of go into survival mode and there's not a lot around that is spoken about death or once you lose a partner, what happens? Um, So when you reached out for a chance to see how my journey's been since Steve passed away, I guess it's also there if someone does stumble across it that it has given them a little insight that it is still a journey um, and that it is a process, an ongoing process. Mm, mm. I I can't thank you enough for for coming on um, 
and and wanting to do it because I think yeah you're exactly right. People do come across this podcast and for whatever reason they they link themselves to specific stories and um, yeah I think the gratitude that we both have for you coming on mm. um, it's yeah, one of the most difficult things you can do is retrace you know traumatic events especially if someone that you you love so dearly um so and i'm also very grateful that you have reached out to me do you know what i mean because like you said memories of like over 10 years ago for that from primary school to now it's such a different world do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i feel very special and very privileged to be able to open and share with you um, as much as we obviously like we might have not had a lot in primary school or we went as soon as you reach out different high school like um, you go to one and you go to the other you kind of drift and I guess you are grateful for social media in a way to keep on to those people that you do obviously think about along the way or you know that they, when they do pop on your screen you think oh god I hope they are well or you know that they're going okay and you still have that platform to reach out yeah yeah and it's 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 that sort of uh, you know that the overall effect of you know what what happens in your life has been you know um as you said i think you mentioned before we started this it's second life and um it's like I, i've talked to friends that um about um lo- losing a partner and it's and it's and lo- losing anybody death grief in in itself and I've had this sort of almost preoccupation with, um, you know, look at, looking at your story, where you're at. And sometimes, you know, I, I haven't reached out. I, I, I felt like I, I should have reached out even when I've been in Melbourne because, um, you know, I, I felt it quite deeply, which was quite strange because I was so removed from it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just so special that before we finally get to all these years later, um, connect and and do this um, podcast and um, yeah it, it couldn't be any more special thank you yeah all right um, so Natasha I, I want to draw back to the I think the 22nd of March mm-hmm. and how did that day start and how did that day end so the 22nd of March was when, I guess it started a few days before, um, Steve had always had demons from a previous relationship and previous life before me. Um, he was an ex-drug addict um, for many, many years and he was sober for so many years and we kind of created this new life, you know, we had... Lucas, who was 17 months old and a baby on the way. Um, And a few days before that, he said, like before the 22nd of March, he goes, Tash, I'm really struggling with my mental health as a dad um, because there's not a lot out there um, for dads and mental health and really struggling. So... Uh, I don't think mums are the only ones who get postnatal depression. Dads have it as well. And Steve was 20 years older than me. Um, So he was 44. Um, And all his friends and all his mates had had their kids, had had, it was a previous world to them. You know, they were welcoming grandkids and he was only welcoming, welcoming his first child. So it was a huge adjustment for him. Um, and I went back to work and he was a stay-at-home dad. So he did everything, literally everything. I literally just um, gave birth and he, he was just amazing with it. So any those few days before the 22nd of March, he went out with some friends that had just come back on the scene who were not great. And I expressed my concerns and my worries. He's like, no, they were fine, they were fine. Um, 
and then he came home the night, the day before and just wasn't right and we had words and you know those words are the last things that I spoke to him about and the last things that I said to him and that will hold with me for for a very long time um so he kind of were all together and he um passed out on the back table after having a few beers and I thought I was so angry I just thought no fuck you you can get yourself inside so I shut the house up and locked the doors um and then it was about two o'clock the next like on the 22nd of that morning 2am uh Lucas woke for his bottle and I was really uncomfortable because I was 24 weeks pregnant um, and I just couldn't get comfy after I fed Lucas his bottle and he was snoring and there was just it was just an uncomfortable night all that morning like it was just it was really strange like when I reflect back on it you kind of feel like you were just floating in the house if that makes sense like you were just there as a person um and then I couldn't get comfy with being pregnant and I had really bad reflux. So I went onto the couch and fell asleep. And then that morning of the 22nd, that's when it all changed. And um, Lucas woke, woke us up, and he, as he always did. Um, and Lucas always got out of the cot and ran straight to wherever Dad was. Um, and Dad was still in bed. Um, and Lucas jumped on the bed and jumped on him. And I knew something wasn't right. I knew he was either in a really deep sleep or you had that urgence, that, that, just that thought, like, what the hell? Like, he's just, no. And then I jumped on him and he was gone. It was blue fingertips, blue lips. There was... There was nothing there. There was drool and just, just him on the bed. Gee. And what happened then? What, what, I can't even, where did Lucas go? So from there, you kind of just scream. Like I just screamed. Um, and Lucas was at an age where, like, at 17 months, you know, they're saying, like, basic words, like, mum, dad, dog, dog, like, basic things. And I just remember grabbing his phone and calling triple zero. Um, and I'm yelling at them, like, he's dead, he's gone. Like, I just remember screaming at the face, like, down the phone. And my face was just, like, trying to look for Lucas and trying to remain calm, like... I still had this baby, you know what I mean? And I was pregnant. And then so you, you ring triple zero and you still have to perform CPR until the paramedics arrive. Even though I'm yelling at them that he's blue and he's gone, mm. you know. Um, he'd obviously been gone for a few hours. Um, so I had to drag him off the bed. Um and perform CPR but because I was pregnant and you know Lucas and Steve always used to play on the floor together Lucas thought daddy was playing it was a game he came and ran on dad and I had to try and pull him off and um he had to try and pull him off and do CPR and I couldn't and I just remember um I just remember the conversation Steve and I had like a week or so before we had this ad come up of um, like in a mother's group about a children's first aid and that we should do learn CPR. I've never done CPR or a first aid course and it would have never occurred to me that I would have found it or find someone that I would have had to do CPR with. It's always been a thing where I would have been like, I would rather someone else do it because I couldn't emotionally do it. Mm. Um, if I was to ever see a civilian, like I, I don't, believe I could you know join into that situation um and that's something I I kind of was like you know if something happened to my child what did you do like you need to learn the CPR 
And then the fact that I had to like literally six days later perform CPR on my husband mm. um, and the, the operator on triple zero, she was like, you know, the ambulance, like all she kept saying was the ambulance is nearly there. The ambulance is nearly there. The ambulance is nearly there. You're doing a really good job. And I was like, I can't do this. So I picked Lucas up and where we were living at the time, there was a park being built across the road. Um, and it was like 7.30 in the morning. Um, and the construction men had just gotten there and all the trucks and everything. And I just ran out the front and I remember screaming like, help, help, at like the top of my lungs. Um, and like, I'm in just a singlet and my, my knickers and I've got Lucas on my hip. I've got the phone. I've got the phone. I think at some point I called mum and I was like, you need to come here straight away. Steve's died and she didn't believe me. And I think in that moment, it was just so much happening, kind of, and the operator's like, you need to go back to your husband's body. Um, and I was like, I can't do it. I can't do CPR. And even though she tried to explain it to you, you kind of have that overwhelming feeling of it's too much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've never learnt it. And you're trying to tell me on the phone. And it was just, I remember feeling so crushed. And because you kind of, not, it's not a give up. But, like, you see it in movies. They're blue. They're gone. You know, what is the point? Um, so we had a lovely gentleman across the road, one of the construction workers, come in and he did CPR on Steve until the paramedics arrived. Um, I think by that point I'd really lost it. I had, I was, like, crying you know, and the paramedics, I remember them coming in, like, pushing the bed away so they could have room around him and just hearing beeping of the machine. Um, and one of the paramedics took me away. My mum had arrived by then um, and taken Lucas outside and away from it all. And my girlfriend was there. My mum called my girlfriend to come and it was just me and the paramedic. And she was just asking me to write down his name and date of birth. Um, and all I could write, all I was asking was like, why do you need this information? You need to be in there saving my husband. Even though in the back of your mind you think he's blue and he's gone, in the other part of it, and you're like, you're a paramedic, you're, you've got to, you, you can do this. This is your job. Um, so from that, it kind of, that was the start of the day, and it was only 7.30 in the morning. And... The mental health prior, you mentioned, so he, he, was, he was out drinking that day. What, day what role, day before, what, what role did that have on his death, if any? Is, is there any, a link there? Um, so from what came back was a death by misadventure. Um, and that's all I wanted to read. And to this day, that's all I've read. I've received reports from the coroner and everything um, and I'm not ready to read mm. death by misadventure and that's how it that's how it was I don't I think because uh, you go through all these different emotions and that anger that you feel I like wanted to read and find out what was if anything was in its system mm. um, but it became that I don't want to know because what happens if it's what if mm. always those what ifs mm. so I've just yeah. left yeah. it and haven't read it as yet and then when I received his death certificate it just says death by misadventure okay. what I'm accepting at the moment until until a day where I the kids ask me or I really am ready to know. Mm. And from that point, from, from the, the, 20, the 22nd of March or, the, or, the, or that seven, 7 o'clock in the morning, was, was, was Steve taken to hospital? Was, was he pronounced dead at, at the scene? What, what sort of happened? So um, the paramedics arrive and they get the tube to do the defibrillator and they... Um, cut his shirt to put the things on um, 
and they try and, and then they pronounce him dead. Um, and then from there, the um, paramedics have to stay there until the police arrive and the police arrive and take photos and make sure that you haven't done any miscellaneous causes, you know, that you could have factored into it. I remember the police officer come up and, coming up to me and goes, oh, so it's not a murder. Um, so we'll just wait for the coroner to arrive. So the ambulance can't leave until the police are there and the police can't leave until the coroner's come to collect the body. Um, and the coroner didn't arrive at the house until three o'clock that afternoon. So he just laid on the bedroom floor with a white sheet over him for six, seven hours. The, the delay between um, the, the coroner attending um, is something that I've, a constant frustration for me um, when, when I was in the force and it's a constant frustration when I talk to family members who are also in the force about that real sort of dehumanising experience where somebody, you know, I fathom that you've got a loved one deceased and I've had to speak to several people who asked the question, what, what, why, why is he still there? He's, it's, this is, this is not human. This is, can't, can't this process speed up? Can't it be more, can't you humanise it? To me, I just felt like, because I just put a sheet over you and including your head and I'm like, are you just, is that to make, pretend that it's not there? Is is that what it's for? Because mm. I don't have white carpet. You can see the sheet. You can see, mm. you know, there was, there was, yeah, that's the part where, and, you know, um, that's the image I remember. That's the last image I have. And unless I really, really think of, like, his funeral or, the last viewing we had, I don't remember it. Mm. I don't remember it. I was just going to ask, Tash, at what point did you, could you accept that he'd gone? I think days you still have that he's not gone. Um, I think the realisation here... Um, on that day, I had my whole family came to my house um, and f some friends, you know, close family friends. Um, and we sat around out the back with the police there just waiting for the coroner. And it kind of felt everyone was, like, trying to make me eat when I was pregnant, like, keep my fluids up, all this. But you don't. You don't want to. Um, and then I think that afternoon, uh, so that morning, my mum had taken Lucas to daycare, so he wasn't home to be there when everyone was there. Um, and it wasn't until we picked him up that afternoon, like my mum went and picked him up and said, bring him home to me. Um. And my mum was like, you have to bath him and feed him dinner. And I was like, Steve normally doesn't. Mm. That's, that's dad's job. You don't think you have to do it. He's been there every day, every night to do it. Um, and I just turned around and said, I don't know how to bath my own child. Cause I've never done it. So I think that was a slap in the face to realise that he wasn't there. But to really feel that he wasn't there was the next morning. Um, so I didn't go back into the bed that night or I couldn't go back into the room. Um, and he would always come out and stumble to the kettle and put the kettle straight on. And I didn't hear the kettle on. 
his cup was there waiting. And that was a big realisation the next morning. What did that feel like, Tash? The realisation? It kind of hit a brick wall. You know, everyone's worried because I was 24 weeks pregnant that I was going to go into early labour from all the trauma and stress. Um, and that next day was just literally filled with uh, doctor's appointments to make sure that Bubs was still all right because I had uh, little movement. Like I couldn't really feel movement. Um, and meetings with funeral people to try and start planning the funeral. Mm. Um, but because it was just before an Easter weekend or something, uh, it was a lot of public holidays. Did you have anyone stay with you in, in, the, in the house? So that night, um, the, the 22nd, my dad lives in Melbourne and I rang him that morning. He was one of the first people I called and I just said to him, please don't, I need you here. Um, and he was able to get there that night from Melbourne. He just came on the next plane. That was really good. Um, so I had my dad there with me and uh, my mum. And when my dad arrived, our relationship has been bizarre. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, growing up with him. Um, so when he arrived, I just kind of collapsed. Um, and I couldn't sleep. And he sat down on the couch. I was like, Tash, let's put Will and Grace on and just zone out. You know, you got a big day trying to organise everything. And I remember it was, I laid on his lap and I was asleep. Um, within minutes, but it was safe. It was a safe place. Tosh, mm. mm. you mentioned anger. That's one of the main emotions that was occurring. Um, what was that anger like? How how, how could you start to explain? what it felt um, like. I think I have anger towards a lot of different people. I have obviously anger towards Steve for what he chose to do. I have anger at the system of how it all just collapsed. Um, I have anger at myself for not doing anything. Um, like if I, there's always those what ifs. What happens if I got up when Lucas cried for a bottle and I actually took notice of him laying there? Like, was he struggling to breathe? Was there signs that I didn't pick up? So you're angry at yourself. You're angry at him for the choices that he made to contribute to his death. You're angry that you don't want people to really know why he died because you don't want them to judge you on who you were with or who the father of your children is. That anger is just like a ball and it sits there and sometimes it's great and you don't feel that anger. Other times it is sitting like right in your throat. Mm. It's... Not even an emotion that you can even, like, you get angry at stuff, you know, but it's a different anger that you can't even describe where it just goes through your whole body and it can either numb you or it just gives you that adrenaline. It, it's, it's really bizarre. How did you, you know, one of the, one of the things that I thought about well, have thought about over the over the over the period when I've seen sort of um, posts that you, you've you've put up. I've always wanted to ask you how how you how you made it through. How, I mean, how you got through life 
existence from the moment it happened to, to the time we're speaking today? Family. Um, I am a very strong believer that um, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, without them, I don't know where I'd be or um, I guess even if I would have my kids and that's a lot, you know. They don't have a dad anymore here. Um, they don't have a dad here anymore and you just kind of think, I'm it. So, and their family and you don't want to lose it. Um, I've lost friends along the way um, and I've gained new friends who can't even to begin to imagine what it would have been like or what it is like. Uh, so I guess it's, it's still a process of how you are with it all. Um, but uh, on a, of going back to what I said at the start, like my relationship with my mum, you know, she's the other person. Uh, and sometimes I have to be like, mum, you have to step back and you're just grandma, you know. I'm mum, you're grandma. And that's where it gets hard. Mm. Did she, you mentioned before that she, she's, she's picked you up from some really dark times. Those dark times, can you express in, in any way what they look like or felt like? Um, it kind of becomes this, you're in like a mode, do you know what I mean? Like you, you have to, you get up, you have to get dressed, you have to either go to school or daycare. Um, I went back to work. What do you do for work, Tash? Um, I was a barista. Uh, so you just kind of, I don't think you have those days. Like there's those days where you think, I just want to lay into bed and not deal with it. And even, you know, four years later, I still have those days where I don't want to do anything. Um, and you look around and go, you know, I have to like sweep or mop or, you know, do washing or something. And you just don't because you can't, you physically can't. Um, and then you have those days where you're just on autopilot and you have to do it because you have two little people depending on you so much. And those, those two boys, um, when Steve did pass away, and you were 24 weeks pregnant. What was that experience from through 24 weeks until, until giving birth? What did that look like? Um, so it kind of, you know, for those next 20 odd weeks, you kind of are in a blur. You're trying to be happy that you're bringing a new life into the world. And then you know, reality hits that you're doing it on your own. Mm. You know, like when I went in to have Lucas, Steve was there and he cut the cord and he held Lucas first. And when I went to have Oscar, it was, it was just me. And there should be that other person there. How do you view the outside world? So with all of these experiences, how do you view, you know, because it's, it's almost like there's an alternative, alternative, even as we're talking, there's an alternative world that you've been in, are still in and will probably always be in. How do you see the other, the other, other people walking around blissfully ignorant in some ways? of Customers that you were making coffee for. Hmm. Yeah, like um, I used to wear my wedding ring um, and my engagement ring uh, from Steve and, you know, you had the customers come in and they're like, oh, you know, especially if you're working on a weekend, they'll be like, oh, your kids with dad? And you're like, oh. <laughs> and they're kind of like, 
oh, kind of go, oh, you know, you have that rapport with customers that regularly come into the same coffee shop. And they're like, oh, if you don't mind me asking, like, where is their dad? And you're like, he's not here. He passed away uh, in 2016. And the, their face kind of just drops. And a lot of people don't know what to say to mm. you. And they're like, oh, but you're still so young. And you're like, yep. Like, you just do. It, it, you go into that autopilot mode where you, You just do. And, you know, a lot of the regular people that come into the coffee shop were like the older married couples that have been together for like 40, 50 years and they go, I can't imagine my life without my other half. And you think, I didn't think I'd have to worry either. It doesn't feel real, if that makes sense. Um, it doesn't feel real... Because, I don't know, it just, it, you, you kind of believe that that should still be me. Mm. Like, every marriage and every relationship will have their problems and Steve and I have had our fair share of them. Um, but you still think, you know, you've got young kids, you're going to be together for a while and your relationship and your marriage was actually okay and great mm. you, and you kind of feel robbed of time mm. so I didn't get years with Steve you know I only got 18 months married life with him and all up three years with him you know and you, it's not a long time do you guys talk about the what ifs, the death, or if, if something happened to either one of you when you guys were together? So it was it was really bizarre. Um, we we fell pregnant and then got married when I was thirty five weeks pregnant um, and had Lucas like five weeks later, um, and so we didn't get a honeymoon after we got married. Um, so we celebrated Lucas's first birthday and thought it's time for us now. Um, and it was only because we were going to Bali for our honeymoon that we started talking about death and what would happen to Lucas if something was to both happen to us. Um, and that's the only reason why we sat down and did a will was because we were going on our honeymoon. Yeah. And Lucas, do you remember if we go back to the 22nd, do you remember speaking to Lucas? I remember that moment when mum, like between all the paramedics and mum and everyone arriving, I just handed him off and said, I can't, I can't have him. You know, like he, he hadn't even had breakfast and I'm just trying to deal with what's going on. Um, and he probably doesn't concept to what was really happening at 17 months old. Um, but, you know, as they become more verbal and more older, you don't realise the impact of just what visual has on them. So I thought that Lucas wouldn't have seen anything and that whenever we've spoken about Steve or on that day, he hasn't been around to listen. But, you know, like now he doesn't like white sheets on his bed or anything like that because... That's what Daddy had. Wow. Do you remember, Tush, how you described death to Lucas? How you explained it? I don't think we. I don't think we actually sat him down and told him. Um, I think he, as he became more aware of where he would be, like, you know, running around, being like, Dad, Dad, Dad looking for him um you kind of just be like oh he's not here he's not here baba um until he was a bit older to say you know like daddy's in heaven um and you just have you open it up it opens up a whole different 
a bowl of questions once you start talking to kids about death. Um, what's heaven? Yeah. Where Where is it? Can I go visit? What do you say? Um, when Lucas asks that he really wants to see Dad, I say there's lots of photos of Dad that you can look at. He goes, yes, but I can't hug him or I can't speak to him or hear his voice. Mm. That, that's really hard. Um, and you kind of go, you will meet him one day, but in a very long time. And he will always, he'll be there waiting for you and know who you are when you get there. But not for a very long time. Hmm. How has this has this changed you as a as a as a as a human being? Clearly any trauma, any loss, any grief is going to, but how how has it changed the way you relate to people, the right the way you relate to yourself, the things that you may have been concerned about before, maybe you still are, what's What's changed? What are the, the biggest things that have shifted for you? Um, how you um, invite people into your life um, or how you want to share your life with people. Um, so I've always said, you know, I remember people saying at Steve's funeral, don't worry, you're still young, you're going to, get back up there and you'll find someone else and it's just not what you want to hear and it's still not what you want to hear. Um, and I did meet someone amazing um, by fluke and by chance um, two years ago. Um, but you still have your guard up. You still have your wall up. You, you love them but you're not, it's a different love. You can't love how you loved before. Um, you, you're cautious about everything, I guess. Um, I guess I'm more worried, like, about what if something was to happen to me. Because um, before, you, you think, you know, you've got two parents. What if? well, you just have one left and then you have one left and you're it. You don't want anything to happen to you. Um, so it's just a different love to people. It's a different emotions to people. Um, you become very resilient um, to people. So in like social situations, Everyone's like, oh, but you're so bubbly and so talkative and you da-da-da-da. But, you know, like my anxiety and my experience, I guess, and how it, how it has been a journey, it kind of puts a new personality on you because you don't want to get too attached to anyone. Like another layer. Yeah. You build up this tough skin person that you are, this tough person that you, like a shield, I guess. Mm. And it's thing, but, you know, you come home at night and you close the door and it's dead silence and that when it hits home again. Mm. Is, is this shield, does that come with thoughts of, of Steve? I still have 101 photos of him around the house and, you know, we openly talk about him like he's still here. And it just kind of... I don't know if people are uncomfortable with it. Um, it yeah. I think I think it's it's beautiful. I mean, there's no there's no way to. There's no, I mean, no one can ever make a judgment or a comment on on something as tumultuous and as life changing as this. And whatever draws 
you closer to him, you know, through life or death is that's, that's the main thing. It's, you know, it's, I, I just, your, your, your ability to survive to me is the most astonishing thing. And you have the ability to endure, you know, pain, enjoy grief, you know, mixed with anger and probably resentment in some ways. It's just, yeah, you, you mentioned resilient, you know, if there was another word that I had the vocabulary for, it, it would be it because, yeah, I just think you're an incredible human, Tash. Thank you. It is, you know, a journey and it'll always be a journey. I don't think you have, you kind of have this whole before Steve, during Steve, after mm. Steve life mm. um, and create all these different um, emotions with every single one. Um, and it, And it's like I have lived two or three different lives in one life, if mm. that's possible. Um, you just are so different, you know, to how it how it was all before. And how do you, so if you've, I mean, in some ways you've segmented different elements of your life and that they are, they're different realities. You know, you're not, you're not living in the same reality that you were. And in essence, that is a new life. That's a new way of interpreting everything, you know. Even the example you used, the, the day after where you didn't hear the kettle and the coffee, you know, that's, that's a different different existence. Your senses are just different. Um, how how have you, or if, if you can, can you explain any times where you felt that you you can't you can't go on, that you can't deal with this? This, this grief, this pain? It's always in the back of your mind that it's too much and that you don't want to do it anymore um, and people just don't understand. So, like, you know, in the months after Steve's passing, you know, you have to call all the mail people that are getting delivered. You have to go to the phone people, you have to go to Medicare and Centrelink and all these people and you walk in and they just put the 22nd of the 3rd, 2016 in the system and say deceased. Like it's just ended. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's so easy for them. It's it's a job and I understand it's a job but there's no person touch to it and at the end of the day I have two boys who need their mum. Did the boys remind you of Steve? <laughs> um, Lucas is the spitting image mm-hmm. to his dad down to like facial expressions, mannerisms, um, even the way they sleep. Uh, they both slept on their back with one arm above their head and Lucas still sleeps like that. Um, Oscar is more me and there's moments there where you see a little bit of his dad but it hurts because he never met him or never had an involvement with him. So you kind of wonder along the way what's nurture and what's nature. Like what do you get in your genetics and how you, yeah. you like, you know, how you look like someone as to what's like in the home, like have they picked up, you know, that new thing or, yeah, it's, it's very different. It's um, very hard um, to have one look so much like him and act so much like him 
but it, at the same time, it's fantastic because you've still got him. Does Does Lucas ever mention that? Does he ever mention that he he looks like Dad? No. Um, he will sometimes ask along the way if he's doing something or is that how my dad did it or is that how my dad does it? Um, or do I like, uh, like a flannelette shirt, the boys wear them and there's a photo of Steve one on and they'll walk around and be like, like my daddy in heaven. So uh, it's nice, but it's, it sucks at the same time. Tash, um, how do you, because you mentioned other people's reactions, um, having gone through this experience, how do you wish that society treated death? Um, you know, having you've probably seen so many different people um, talk to you in, in different ways about what happened and try and comfort you. Um, what do you, what do you wish was different? And, and what do you, what, what are you actually comforted by? Uh, the first thing people say to me was, oh, how old was he? And, um, and I say 44 and they go, oh, so young. Like they associate that you're only meant to die when you're, what, over a certain age? Is that's That fires up that anger a little bit because you think it can happen to anyone. Uh, and the fact that it's more, like, you associate death with your older people. Like, you do. I did. You associate that you know, your grandparents are going to go first and then you, and then your parents and then you, you know, like you. Yeah, the natural you order. Don't, yeah, the, the, society has put that there's meant to be an order with death and that you're not meant to be young. Yeah. And that you're not meant to be a dad or, uh, you know, you're meant to have lived this life and have things and it's not saying that Steve didn't live a life or have this have an amazing life it was just cut so short yeah and and what sort of advice would you have for someone who who is going through an experience like yours it comes in waves, the emotions, and you are never prepared for the afterlife, I guess, of that special someone that you chose to marry and have the rest of your life with them. It's not like Steve and I separated and we have alternative weekends with the kids. Mm-hmm. He's gone. It's just me. We were still in love and still together in a relationship and it's taken it from you to someone who has lost their husband or their partner just got to take it a little step at a time and it's okay to step backwards when you need to because there will be days where you absolutely need to step back and can't be positive that it's all going to be okay and keep going forward. You know, I don't know if you would have found this in the force, Jason, but when you're dealing with people, I guess it's their job and, you know, to them you were a name. You know, to everyone it was Steve and James. Mm. 
to me that was my husband and the father of my kids and a man who I really love and it's not just a name it's a whole life that's where you find it hard because they just address it as a person and as a name and another another person when it's not it's actually someone who was a dad you know a partner a husband a friend you know he had a brother and his mum Mm. It was still somewhat the the rip the ripple effect, you know that we're talking about, you know how it's severed and changed your you know life, and it's not just you, right? It's everyone involved, everyone even on the outskirts that that know you, um, you know maybe even people that have fallen away. It's 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 so impactful, and do you? I wonder, you sort of mentioned this before, when uh, you were a child, did you ever imagine that your life would would turn out in, in, in this way? I always said that I was never, ever going to get married or ever, ever have kids. <laughs> And I met Steve and he completely changed it all. There was nothing better than knowing that I was his wife and that I had his kids. How do you remember falling in love with Steve? I was very cautious falling in love with him. Yeah. Um we never seen age as a diff- as a as a thing or as a difference. It was um, <laughs> it was at work, um, and I was a new person at work, and it was very divided. Like the men worked at the back, and the women were in the office, and you don't mix. Um, and where my my desk was was right near the window of where they tag in to drive the trucks around the back. And then um, he put his number on my wall and I wrote it down, I pretend to write it down. And I was like, I'm not actually going to call you. Like, this is bizarre. And then I I, um, finished work one day and he was still in the car park waiting for me. And he was like, you haven't texted me. And I was like, (laughs) I thought it was a prank. You know, the new girl in the office. Um, And then... Uh, we went on a few dates and we talked about life. Um, he had um, an eventful life and obviously a lot more experience than I did. Um, and I, I was very hurt and damaged. I went through a period of my teenage years where I was in domestic violence um, and very cautious about going with someone again in general. Um, and he changed it all. And if anything, he made me feel so much more safer than what I've ever felt. And he, I, I felt so safe with him around and knowing that I was safe where the moment he had gone, I felt so exposed and so raw and vulnerable and an easy target. Um, but he made me feel, I don't know, on top of the world. You know, like, <laughs> it wasn't long after we got, like, we had a few dates and then, you know, it progressed pretty fast and we were moving in together and, in winter, he would, like, bring me breakfast in bed with a cup of tea and he would put the heater on for when I got out of bed and he would put my clothes by the heater so they were nice and warm when I put them on, <laughs> you know. And 
like you've seen a photo of him, Jason, the image that he had and that he had to stand by with his friends, that he was like rough and tough and he wasn't. He was just like <laughs> Aramello Koala on the inside. Once you broke him, he was all gooey on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, and the, photo, the photos I've seen, it's yeah, it's definitely the, 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 the he definitely seems like a, such a lo- loving father, and the warmth, like you, at first it's the physical appearance, but just from some of the pictures that that, that I've seen, it's um, you you can you can see how much he loved you and loved Lucas, and you know wherever he is, whatever he's doing. Um, you know, I think that he still holds such a special part of who you are, you know, and that sense of safety that, that I hope that, I hope that as much as it's painful, that, that never leaves you. I don't think it does. And it depends on your beliefs, you know, but I believe that there may be something there, you know, and, when we used to drive in the car together, he always used to put my hand on his or we'd always be holding hands or he'd put his hand on my lap. And it wasn't until I went and had a reading because I was like, I'll do anything to like get my life in order to find out where it's going. And the lady was like, do you feel like your hand getting warm when you're driving or like something resting on your leg? And, he, and I was like, yeah, I do. Like, I just thought it was, you know, because you're driving. And they're like, mm. no, it's him holding you. Mm right beside you and I'll take that with me and I'll I'll take it mm. I'll hold I mean, on to it yeah, I mean it brings it to the conscious it makes it makes it makes it a, an experience you're right it doesn't matter what your beliefs are the fact that you've that that keeps you safe in that moment I think that's the most powerful thing and if that gets me through the day I'll take it <laughs> that's right yeah yeah well, Tash, I'm aware of your time and I'm aware that we have gone through um, such a journey even within this, this podcast and I really do truly, well, I can't thank you enough in words, but I, I, I want to thank you for, for sharing a part of yourself and sharing Steve's story, your story and um, being so honest with us. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great to be able to talk and not feel judged or the, oh, I better not say that part or anything of it. And that that you guys reached out to me because, like, to me, I'm just another person going through this journey. You know, it's of nothing. Like, I feel like it's nothing. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you hope that someone listens and that you just find that that connection, that it can help them just that little bit. Yeah. I think um, you, you've been, like, absolutely incredible, Tash, and, you know, uh, there's that that kind of idea that you brought up that I can't stop thinking about how um, to professionals, to police officers, you know, they're, they're just seeing a name and then they, they tick off that name and they go to the next name and then they go down the list. And, you know, I think that what you're bringing home to us on this podcast is how those names mean a world to people. I mean, I, I didn't know you before we met an hour ago. You know, I didn't know anything about Steve. I didn't know anything about your life. And, and now I feel like, you know, a part of his life has, has touched me and, and spoken to me in so many ways and, and taught me so much. And I think, you know, when you multiply that with the listeners um, who, who are going to be hearing this podcast, and then how that resonates with their individual lives. Um, I think it's just amazing what you've done and I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Mm.
And that's I, re- I really, I am really so grateful for reaching out. And I think sometimes you reach out and it's just what you need at the right time. Mm. You know. Well, I think that um, if I know Maddie well, she will make sure that this podcast is in every single corner of the world. (laughs) So um, I think it's going to, um, yeah, lift a lot of people and pull people in different places. And as, yeah, Maddie beautifully said, I think that, yeah, a bit of Steve has moved on to different, different parts, different people's sort of consciousness. So, yeah, thank you, Tash. No, thank you guys. What you guys are doing is just amazing. That was Making Sense of Chaos. A podcast about death, dying, love, grief and hope. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.